You are the senior litigating partner of one of the largest, most respected law firms in the world. You are a legend. I'm an accomplice! You are a man I depressive. I am Shiva, the god of death. Hey, you people out there in Radioland. Radioland <laughs> murders? Radioland murders. Yay! Yeah, retrospective. Hey. <laughs> They're so weird. If you like, as I did all this research on Star Wars way back in the day, you can find like documents Lucas is signing where he's making deals with like Fox about what like his pictures are going to be. And like, it's literally like he signs a deal to do Star Wars and this film called The Radioland Murders. <laughs> it's a fun movie. It's so it's like all these. All these documents that are like, yeah, he's selling these treatments. Yeah. And it's like, one of them will change the industry forever. <laughs> and the other, no one remembers. And will take like two decades to get made. And you used to be able to make like a living off just like selling treatments and unmade scripts. And, yeah. and now it's like notorious that like, at least for, for right now, in the year 2022, when we were recording the Waffle Press retrospective failed award contenders uh, with your host, Diego Crespo and Macaringo. Um, it is difficult to sell uh, just spec scripts. You, original ideas are yeah. really hard to sell unless you're in television. And even then, it's still difficult. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, you know, the whole industry is in a fucking rut yeah. right now. But, you know, I, the, the shift will come. I just, it'll be yeah, weird. Yeah, it'll, it'll be weird know, and different. Like... And I'm not negative about it. It's just uncertainty. There's yeah, plenty to be negative I mean, about. Let me let me reiterate that. There's plenty to be negative about. I just think it'll it'll pan out. Like right now, another thing that people are talking about. I promise we will get into Michael Clayton, which we are here to talk about. But another thing people are talking about is that so much went into production pre-COVID that still is like barely getting made. That there's just like a backlog of mm-hmm. shit. Once we're through that yeah. backlog and like the barriers start coming down, I think things will get better in a, like a couple years creatively. Because not only do I see Maybe. the tide turning on what films are a little popular right now, um, yeah. I, I just think tastes change as time goes on. How did uh, how did the Batman do? The Batman did incredible, but it is Batman. Yeah, but like I'm not concerned about. That I will one. say like I'm not cons- I'm not totally concerned, but I, there's a part of me that's like, is the Batman going to have like a huge second week drop off? Cause I, you know I th- what? I don't know. I think it's a very. I'm not. I don't want to hold the fucking Batman up as like this rebel of cinema or some shit. But yeah. it, 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 a lot of it feels in like direct opposition to what we've come to expect from blockbusters in a good way. And I, I wonder how audiences are going to take to that because it's not. It doesn't really feel like it's lighting the world on fire, in the way that something like The Dark Knight did. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's. It's interesting. And then, uh, like, the sad thing is, I just keep... I have Spider-Man No Way Home in, like, the back of my head, you know? Mm-hmm. Which did become, like, massive. <laughs> and it's like, are all movies just going to be that now? Well, it... it you know, we're, we're not knocking Spider-Man No Way Home down a peg. Which we neither of us seen have seen. Yet. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, that one is, is the best, uh, like, box office-wise since COVID happened. It, it hit, like, 150 million opening weekend or some crazy shit. The yeah. Batman is, like, right underneath that at, like, 135 or something. And that one, um, I think the reaction is going to give it, like... Because like, it, it, people are at least giving, like, a bold reaction if they didn't like it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, like, another one. Um, but those tend to be people that are, like, 
Like, I've seen criticisms about that movie that are just fucking ridiculous about, like, well, you know, they're just standing in rooms all the time. And it's like, well, no. Man, they're going to but... hate the movie we're talking about today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I, I think normal people are responding very positively to the movie, where it's not just like, oh, yeah, Batman's back. I think people are like, like, there's even discourse on Twitter about, like, from the Marvel fan accounts. Have you seen this? Where um, it's not was... just that, like, DC is, like, doing another movie. Like, some some Marvel GIF account, like, they post GIFs from all the Marvel stuff, and they were praising the Batman, and they were like, why doesn't our stuff look like this? Mm. Why doesn't our stuff get this kind of acclaim? And, like, having a real, like, come-to-Jesus moment about, like, hey, are we I wrong? hope that will happen at some point, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, that was the problem, I think, that, like, kind of fucked the DCEU, was that, like, there was you can definitely feel a push to make all of those films kind of fit into the aesthetic Zack Snyder established, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it was an aesthetic that like turned people off. And at the same time, it would just it would just be like an alternate slop to mm-hmm. the Marvel slop, you know. And I'm not even blaming Zack Snyder for that. I'm just saying like it it was getting weird when like you know Wonder Woman and fucking fucking Superman looked the same, and like I don't think those two movies should look the same. Which, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that was my whole thing where I got irrationally angry about how little Gotham and Metropolis looked different in BVS. No, I think that's a valid point, especially for, like, what that movie's going for. A movie I still like and defend. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was alright. You know, that's my take, is that it's alright. <laughs> Tony Gilroy's Batman. I know. I don't know. He's a good writer. and He's a good director. He is. Um, and it's weird that, like... This is kind of like the the movie he made, you know? You don't like, like uh, the Bourne legacy? No. <laughs> but I don't like the Bourne movies. I'm like that one guy. Like, okay. I'm, yeah. I've never gotten into them. Uh, I think the direction is far better than the writing. Not that the writing's like hackneyed or anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I think they're very fascinating artifacts of like films that came out during the peak of the War on Terror. Yeah. And it wasn't Middle Eastern people bad. Like, the whole movie is about, like, oh, like, the, the government well, It's crazy that the they US. were so big, and then it was like, the surveillance state is bad, and then everyone's like, you know what we need? Yeah. <laughs> More surveillance state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I, I find them fascinating with that, and I really think the, the action, even in the last one they did with Matt Damon, which is, like, so disappointing, even for a fan of these, mm-hmm. uh, like, the action is really, really well done. Mm-hmm. I really like the way Paul Greengrass cuts in that. And yeah. I like the way Tony Gilroy directed uh, his his entry in the series, which yeah, is you know, an just, otherwise misfire of a movie. Yeah, I just general. haven't seen it. Like, I think I saw half of it on TV once. I mean, it, it deflates. There's, like, no third act. Mm-hmm. It, like, just ends. Um, Michael Clayton does not end, and I don't know why we're not talking about it in full yet. Uh, the, the 2007 Well, there's a lot. We're talking about... Starring George Clooney... Mm-hmm. You, you can go ahead. That's all go, I wanted to say. Go watch Michael Clayton. That's the only thing I want to get out there. If you haven't seen it, you're a fucking maniac. Go watch it. Um, but because right before we started recording, Dig and I, we talked about Star Wars, of course, for 20 minutes because we're both <laughs> pathetic people. But uh, then we started talking about, uh, we ended up on how 2007 was an incredibly strange year for filming. Kind of like this weird, like, peak. I don't want to say peak because that's a little depressing, but like... There was a there, there's it was one of those years where there's just an insanely good number of movies that are like fantastic, 
And then I was comparing that to the highest grossing films of 2007, which a lot of them are like notorious in one way or another, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, I, I, I think notorious, I said bad, but that was probably wrong. Notorious is probably more accurate. Um, like Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, which, like, it, that movie's pushing three hours, right? Like, it's, it's a long one. It's, it's a like long two and one. A half. I remember people just being like, whatever you say about that movie now, but to say that movie's good now is an insane thing. Thankfully, no one says it. But it's, um, it's because it's great. It's because it's it's one of the just most boringest films ever made. Um, but I just remember people. It was like it has a three hundred million dollar budget, and it feels bloated. You know, it's like the beginning of like these bloated blockbusters coming out. Um, we have Harry Potter Order of the Phoenix. Which I contend is a very bad movie. I don't know why people defended David Yates for so fucking long. <laughs> why was that, Diego? Explain to I me. I don't know. I, I admire stuff in Order of the Phoenix. I, like what? I think, like I think what? it drops the ball. Like what? I think visually... Like what? He's like still, what? He still like had what? an eye like for what? the cinematic. <laughs> I think of the chase scene in the, the Ministry of Magic, which I'm you, surprised. I haven't said the Ministry high? of Magic out loud. I haven't said that title in like... A decade out. You know, Harry Potter does have a problem, though, where, like, when you start saying shit in Harry Potter out loud, you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, like, hang on. I remember this being more clever. Um, But, no, I think that movie's got, like, stuff going for it. Um, Remember when it dropped the ball on every fucking, like, dramatic moment, though? Remember how, like, building an army of children in that movie is portrayed like it's the fucking breakfast club? I think it's okay for a starting point. I think, and this is a problem with J.K. Rowling's writing too, is it never interrogates it, which is not a problem with mm-hmm. Michael Clayton. Well, no, 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 no Order of the Phoenix ends with like, child armies are good actually, but, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know, David Yates, it's, it, all that shit looks like so flat and washed out to me. Like, I super disagree with his Harry Potter work. I, just... I think his Harry Potter work is like fantastic, especially, uh, there's the, scenes where the, the special Half effects Blood take Prince. over and they kind of look all right, but no, no, Half Blood Prince is one of the best looking blockbusters ever. Now, it looks fine. his Fantastic Beast work mm-hmm. is awful, and I've only know. seen the first film, mind you. That I, that is an awful looking film I that know, I kind man. of enjoyed, and I will never watch the sequels. Mm-hmm. So, wasn't Half Blood Prince though like the one where like they like they took six months to like totally redo the look of that movie? I actually don't know. It is shot by Bruno Del Bonell, who is like a god to me. He's like top five cinematographers yeah. for me. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the deal was. But there, anyway, but... Order of the Phoenix sucks. Um, <laughs> Spider-Man 3, uh, which no one has any strong opinions on. That's a movie. That's the beginning of nerd culture just getting shit wrong. Because I think, I think we could both agree Spider-Man 3 is an incredibly lopsided movie. Yeah, it, it's it's very messy. It's a messy, messy film. But a bunch of people came out and that was like, why does he dance? Yeah, and not, hey, why is the pacing weird? Yeah. Or like, it, they, it's, it's fucking ain't and cool news and shit that were like, oh, he's crying all the time. And it's like, look, that movie's got problems, but there's like emotional drama you know to weird? it. weird? Um, I remember like one of the harbingers of like the terrible shift in like how we discuss art um, is unfortunately the angry video game nerd. <laughs> Where it's like everything kind of became angry nerd like criticism, but I remember him being like the one guy out there like defending Spider Man Three. <laughs> yeah, he always defends interesting movies. 
And he did this one. He released a video that was like a giant fuck you to like people criticizing Spider-Man 3 where he talked about Batman Begins and he started like nitpicking it to death. And like he started like going, I don't know why this happens. Why is this in there? Why is this there? And then he's like, he's like, you might think I hate this film. And he's like, no, I don't. I actually saw it twice. I'm, I was like, I'm just pointing out a bunch of nitpicks. Kind of like how you idiots nitpick Spider-Man 3. Like, <laughs> I, I, I so vividly remember that. <laughs> like, oh, that rocks. Um, interesting, interesting moment. Um, Shrek the third, which is like, (laughs) like, you know, I think people have mixed opinions on the Shrek franchise looking back, but no one seems to like Shrek three at all. Yeah. And it just totally, I remember that was like so bad. Like people were like, don't even go see that. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard that from like normal family members because Shrek 2 especially was just like such a hit with families. Yeah. That it was like, oh, the, oh my God, we love Shrek now. Like Shrek was a popular icon. Now he's a meme, which is fine. Like it's part of yeah. culture. But like it was just such a popular thing for families, which is so insane. Yeah. And then Shrek the third just like killed that dead. Yeah. To the point where like Shrek the fourth I think was like a bomb even. Yeah, I think kind of, but because they were always talking about doing a fifth one, but I think third actually bombed so hard, like like underperformed that they were like, let's end it with four, and then four mm-hmm. didn't do amazing. Yeah. Um, but do you remember like, I think there was there was talk briefly that Shrek the Third was almost like a PG thirteen movie. Do you remember this? No. What? Yeah. Because <laughs> no. I think they they totally Whoa. miscalculated because Shrek two has like some very raunchy and adult humor in it, and I think. The original miscalculation was like we got to go further with Shrek the Third. Oh no, no, no! And that's no, like no. no, like if you go even further than that, it just becomes mean and awful. Um, Transformers in there as the fifth highest grossing film. Uh, the movie Roger Ebert gave three stars. No, he's right. Um, no, let's. We got to stop this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, like, I'm about like to fucking blow this place up. Like it's like no more. Like, it was cute for a little bit <laughs> to be like, Bayhem. But, like, no. Come on now. I like the first Transformers. Tony Scott's right there, man. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, oh, Deja Vu was like the year before that, huh? Yeah. And oh, it's like fuck. Good... Everyone who watched Deja Vu, that's a fucking masterpiece. And what's great about fucking Tony Scott is, like, he's like, I'm going to do fucking Vertigo, <laughs> but make it an action movie. <laughs> and it's like, all right, man, fine. <laughs> And then Michael Bay just, like, has fucking contempt for his own audience. Yeah, but here, let's keep going through the, the, the weird blockbusters of 2007. Cause... If anyone defends fucking Transformers again, I'm fucking pulling out a gun. I swear what? to fucking God. <laughs> just, just stay off Twitter for a while. Listen, you. You start tweeting out, don't come to school tomorrow. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you immediately get taken in by the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I haven't been in high school in fucking a decade, but hey... <laughs> Oh no, uh, Ratatouille. Oh, that, Ratatouille. That's a good movie. Yeah, that's, that's a good. That's a good movie. I am Legend. Are you one of these people that defends I am Legend? No, no. Okay. But that I have a weird thing about that too, because the movie I think is fine. Will Smith is great in it, but like I love the Richard Matheson book I yeah. Am Legend. Yeah, we talked about that. And I've yeah, I've just never. How has no one gotten it right? I don't know. And now they're doing a fucking sequel to that movie. Yeah. Like, God bless Will Smith and Michael B. Jordan, two of our best actors today. What is that? <laughs> I know. 
What is that? Antonio, it's going to be I Am Legends. Like, that'll be the title. We Are Legend. That, watch. That's, that's my guess. We Are Legend. Oh, no. Totally well, fucking missing the point of the fucking... Whatever, whatever. All right, but I just want to say, I think I Am Legend's kind of important in the middle of all this. Like, we talk about some of these movies affecting, like, aesthetic or, like, criticism of movies. Um, I Am Legend, I think, is, like, a very prominent example of just fucking changing the ending because audiences didn't like it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, completely destroying the entire point of your fucking movie. Mm. (laughs) Like, which is wild. (laughs) And it's something that keeps happening. Um, the Simpsons movies in there in the middle, which is kind of nuts to think the Simpsons movie made five hundred million dollars. I, I don't know. What, what do you feel about that movie? It's fine. I really like it. I think it's super underrated. I like it, but it's one of these things where like, I don't know. It's this like Homer's like already done worse to the town of Springfield. <laughs> there, and there March is part has, of that too. March has left him like twice by the time that movie came out. So when Marge like leaves him in the movie, it's like not that big a deal. You know, but I, I, I guess I, I'll say this: like yeah. I think the emotional core of the movie doesn't totally work, but I I think it's very funny. Okay, um, yeah. I mean, I I sorry to go to bat for the Simpsons movie at the start of this Michael Clayton retrospective. Yeah, I really love that movie. I I think it it is one of the 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 high marks of like American comedies of the last thirty years. Okay, <laughs> like I I will fucking die on the hill of Simpsons. You might movie. have to do a fucking episode explaining that because like I like it, but I wouldn't go. I, yeah, I that fuck far. it. You know, I'll I'll leave it at that for now. I fucking love the Simpsons movie, okay. and I think it's the last truly great like Simpsons thing ever. I think actually that was that's I think a point a lot of people had now were kind of like everyone thought the Simpsons movie was going to lead to like this resurgence in the Simpsons. And, like, maybe it was going to get their shit together, and then that just didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's my ultimate point. Maybe that's all I need to say is that uh, I'm cool with The Simpsons ending, like, mm-hmm. right after that movie. Like, it, it was such a fitting finale, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, uh, who knows? Whatever. It's going to go on for another 50 years. National Treasure, Book of Secrets. Um, I like Nick Cage. That's, remember that's the Book I mean. of Secrets? I what do. What do you think of the National Treasure films? Um, they played on, like, Disney Channel, and I think that's, like, fitting. That's not a criticism, even. Yeah. I, I don't think they're very good, but, like, I don't know, for, like, Baby's first Indiana Jones, you could you could do way fucking worse. Yeah, yeah, like, and, like, like I, to make I don't them, know, they're harmless, in my opinion. To make them, like, American mythology-centric, you know? Yeah. Like, it's kind of, it's, they're cute. It's, you know what's weird, though? It's, like, both those movies made, like, a shit ton of money, right? Mm-hmm. And then Disney just has done nothing with it since then. Oh no, they're gonna they're doing all the shit they do for Disney Plus now. And yeah, so but they're the, rebooting it. No, no, without no. I Nick know Cage. that now that they're doing like they're gonna do some fucking thing on Disney Plus because everything's going on Disney Plus. But that's because Disney Plus is like this weird like just just do anything right now because we have to have content. Mm-hmm. It's it doesn't even matter if it's fucking good. But there, it's weird that there's such a gap where it's like this movie did so well. Like why was there nothing? And I remember someone. It might have been uh, uh, Bob Iger gave an interview. Where he was like. Yeah, we could never really figure out how to integrate National Treasure into the theme parks, so we didn't think it was worth it to keep, like, investing in. God, everyone fucking... All, all these adults, like, that are in the industry worship Bob Iger for being some sort of genius. Mm-hmm. He's really I don't not. know if he said... I don't want to say it was definitely him. I just remember an executive said it, so Okay. it might not have been him. It sounds like something he'd say. Yeah. Because he wasn't a smart producer, he just bought everything. Mm-hmm. 
that's the other thing where like Disney, and this is before Bob Iger even completely took over, where like they got the exclusive Ghibli rights for so long. And it's like that should have been a cash cow, but because Ghibli was like, we don't want toys made from our films, they just like they that's why all those movies got like incredibly limited releases. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like, Well, we can't we can't put them in the theme parks, we can't sell toys, like why even bother? And it's like, what the fuck, dude? Like <laughs> You have the, the Japanese Walt Disney, man. Like, <laughs> ugh. And then 300 at the very end of this list. Oh, yeah. Um, Everyone's favorite Zack Snyder film. Yeah. I just, whenever I think of 300, and this isn't fair to the movie, like, but all I can see in my head is when they, like, the Comic-Con, I think it might have been this year, because, yeah, I was paying attention to Comic-Con that year, because that was when, like, the Iron Man trailer dropped and the Dark Knight trailer. Like, it was, like, two, like, huge events were going on, and they did, like, a thing for the DVD release of 300, and it, they got, like, a bunch of bros into, like, a football stadium and, like, gave them, like, cardboard cutout shields and spears, and they did the, like, chanting they do in that movie. And I just see it in my head to this day. <laughs> yeah, I, I've said it before. That 300 is, like, Maybe my least favorite Zack Snyder movie. There you go. Well, yeah, you know, I've like turned on him as a on a like as a director. I'm interested in him. You remember um, when people use 300 no. <laughs> as an example of like clearly Zack Snyder is a satirical genius. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Because it's like, well, clearly, like all the racism is like it's a set. It's satirical. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. I. I Good luck with that. I think history has just proven that to be inaccurate. <laughs> um, Good but, luck defending that one. But um, it's it's just weird because it's like these these movies I think are all kind of like weird harbingers of what's about to happen to the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then on the other side of it, it's 2007. It's like the second to last year of the Bush administration. <laughs> Everyone knows the economy is about to fall apart, but we don't know when. And a bunch of people are trying to act like it won't fall apart. Mm-hmm. And then we get movies like There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, um, fucking The Assassination of Jesse James, which is a fucking great movie. I don't feel like that gets talked about enough either. No, it doesn't. It's a masterpiece, though, for anyone that hasn't seen it. Like, it just is. Uh, Zodiac, which I remember Zodiac was like a big deal because Zodiac bombed pretty hard. And it came out against Wild Hogs, and Wild Hogs like beat it, mm. and people were like, "What the fuck is going on here?" And they never figured out because they did Wild Hogs too, and then that bombed. They did but, Wild Hogs too. Yeah, didn't they? Are well, you I sure? Think, I I could have sworn they did a Wild. Wild I know Hogs they talked too. about it for like ever, and then they I don't think they did. Let me check. Let me check. Yeah, hang on. I'm, I'm checking too. I no can't. Oh, the guy sequel. who made Wild Hogs did Old Dogs. That's what happened. Oh, okay. What, and that what was kind of like the dogs? spiritual successor. I don't even fucking know. All I remember was that it bombed. <laughs> okay. And by bombed, the, uh, I mean it made $96 million on a $35 million budget. Yeah, but then but, he would go on to direct Clifford the Big Red Dog. Oh, hey, fucking cinema was saved. Yeah, that, that dog's just too fucking big in that movie. Man, what are we going to do about that fucking big dog? I don't... It. I think Clifford should have been a horror film. I mean... To like Cujo on steroids. Cujo for the superhero generation. Why not? <laughs> yeah, it's like the Joker, but with a dog. Remember that Banana Splits movie where the Banana Splits were evil? I do. I never saw it, but I do remember it. 
Now, there's a weird artifact, Five Nights at Freddy's. Anyway, um, yeah. Gone Baby Gone was also that year. It's like the beginning of like people started to take Ben Affleck seriously again. Oh, yeah. Um, which will also like have an unfortunate arc to it. No. Um, and then like right in the middle of this, we get Michael Clayton, uh, which is a movie that like got good reviews. It was nominated for Oscars. It won one. And then like I don't feel like it's talked about a ton these days. It, it sort of trends on Twitter once in a while when everyone's like, "Hey, how fucking good was Michael Clayton?" Because that's that's really what we're here to talk about. How fucking good Michael Clayton is. Yeah. Um. Like, look on Letterbox. Like the, like, yeah, the Letterboxd average rating from it. people like I follow are like five stars. The only the only thing I could maybe say that like why it's not talked about a ton is that it really is a type of movie we don't see that much where it's like a really solid script, not like a revolutionary script, but a really solid one done like super effectively. But it's not like the most show offy film on the planet, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not. Like when I when I say something like No Country for Old Men or like There Will Be Blood, you can see like people go like, "Well, there's the PTA thing and there's the Coen Brothers thing, right?" And maybe it's just that Tony Gilroy doesn't have like a huge filmography to compare it to. But there's only I would say like a couple of scenes in this where like it would get quote unquote show offy, you know? Yeah. Of like really drawing attention to the fact that this is how the director is making it, whereas I think it's mostly just about as effective as it could be um like really like almost like mathematical in its structure you know mm-hmm. um, and i will say uh as i was rewatching it for the first time in a, a very long time for this mm-hmm. retrospective uh the first 15 minutes or so i was like is this not gonna be as good as i remember really mm-hmm. it's really? good it's good but i remember this being like one of those movies i saw on hbo the year after it came out and being just like fucking floored you know, because mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, where the fuck did this movie come from? Uh, and I feel that way again by the end of it. But it took me like a minute because it, it's it really builds up mm. to that that uh, that finale. Like there's like moments in in the back half of this where it's like the the build up editing, like as it's cutting back and yeah. forth between like footage we've seen before and then the new information we have now. And I was just like on a high watching it. Um, and, and you get just, so used yeah. to the rhythm because they really establish like the cutting between like kind of what I think what amounts to like the three different parties that are kind of going around in this, which are like George Clooney, fucking Tom Wilkinson, and Tilda Swint. Like they're always kind of cutting between what those people are up to, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, and, but yeah, it builds and builds to attention. And and what's what's kind of like ballsy about the movie is that like we know how it ends basically when we get to that like really tense scene towards the end and but it's like it's still like so it works so well um which is kind of yeah. nuts but i i had the disc i think the first like 15 minutes are like i would say 10 minutes maybe are like some of the most like effective storytelling in a movie ever <laughs> no no it's very effective but something like i couldn't get back into it for some reason and i don't know why i guess maybe to, to your point about the, the lack of showiness, I think I remembered it being more showy. Yeah. And that's a me problem. It is not on the movie. There's nothing wrong with the first 15, 10, 15 minutes of this movie. It is, it is absolute. You're correct. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely correct. I, it was, it's a total me problem just trying to find my way back in. Yeah. Which I notice I'm having once in a while. Maybe I just need to sit down with like a bunch of 70s thrillers again or something like that. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But, 
I don't know. It's just also it's kind of like I think the nonchalant nature of the film of just like this movie flexes when it needs to. I guess would be the way to say it. You know, mm-hmm. and it shows off. It it's a little reflective of its protagonist. You know, Mike yeah. Clayton is this guy. We is he's like the fixer, but we don't really know like what side he's on and what he's going for, and he makes it look effortless and like passionless. You know, um, mm-hmm. like a lot of the stuff he does. But he's like this invaluable person. By the end, we we see what he really is. But I don't know. I, I love I, I love this fucking movie. And like, oh yeah, you said you you haven't watched it since when? Fuck, like two thousand twelve, maybe maybe even longer. This is one of those movies that like I I since it came out, I've probably watched it like once a year. And watched it might be a little too much. It's a movie I I feel very comfortable putting on in the background. You know, because mm-hmm. I can kind of like if I'm in the middle of something, I can look up and I can be in the middle of the scene and can just get like really into that scene and then go back to what I was doing. <laughs> and I think uh, it's it like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which I've brought up a few times, which we might have to do the next time we do this retrospective. Mm-hmm. Um, I operates in a very similar way with me, uh, but also I said like the opening of this movie is so good; it's a lot similar to me for Miami Vice. Which is a movie that every time I put that shit on, like the first five minutes that movie hook me, I just can't like not watch the whole fucking thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Which came out the year before this, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very interesting time for movies. Um, very interesting. I don't, I don't want to get off Michael Clayton. I want to talk a little bit more about like the the atmosphere of movies at that point, because um, the first half of two thousand seven is kind of rough mm-hmm. for movies. Apart from even the blockbuster stuff, I like. There's just not a lot that is remembered from that point in time. Uh-huh. The back half of 2007 was so fucking stacked. I think that's the real yeah. like, problem with Michael Clayton is that it just came out in this point where like there are movies that are all-timer in the back of 2007 Another movie like, just constantly. that kind of gets lost in that. And I don't know if it holds up. I remember it being pretty solid was uh, James Gray's We Own the Night. It, that's a solid movie. It's, yeah. it's maybe my least favorite James Gray, but mm-hmm. I really love James Gray. Yeah. Um, no, James Gray is pretty pretty solid, but like, it's it was it, that's one like that one's like truly lost. <laughs> like Michael mm-hmm. Clayton has its defenders. No one really talks about We Own the Night. Yeah, and I'm meaning to go back to it, but I just haven't. So yeah, uh, just for some other reference of other random movies, I want to I want to mention from 2007, Hot Fuzz, Judo, Into the Wild, Darjeeling Limited, Atonement, Ocean's Thirteen, Enchanted, B Movie, Sunshine, Stardust, Hot Rod, Wreck. Persopolis, Hairspray, The Mist, Paranormal Activity, Knocked Up, Across the Universe, Live Free or Die Hard, Walk Hard, The Bucket List, which we, uh, we've joked about being memorable, <laughs> but it is not, 310 to Yuma, 20 Weeks Later, The Orphanage, Eastern Promises, Funny Games, Trick or Treat, American Gangster. Uh, now, you hold see on. I'm getting I, at here? I, I, not to like go too far in on you on that one. American Gangster is another one that unfortunately kind of got lost in the shuffle. Like, that's one of Ridley Scott's best movies, and... It's it, it like it got some traction, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said uh, Paranormal Activity and Trick or Treat were they both actually released in two thousand seven? I'm pretty sure Paranormal Activity was. I thought Paranormal Activity was like got its actual release like a year later, like right, it was me, doing the like slow circuit thing in two thousand seven. Okay, let me check that. I could be wrong. I could be just really wrong on that one. No, no, it, it, it's important to to note if it if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Two thousand nine. Yeah, so my bad. 
It, don't count paranormal activity. Uh, trick or treat, I actually don't for sure know now that you mention it. Because that one was that weird. One, yeah. Remember, like, that was on the shelf for, like, years? Mm hmm. It was. Cause, it's because part of it, because unfortunately, uh, Brian Singer was one of the producers of it. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's That has its whole, whole own can of worms. But, uh, he, like, so, like, half the cast, like, a bunch of people from X Men 2 are just in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, including Brian Cox. You feel like that movie should get a revival now. Because yeah. of fucking It's definitely Brian Cox. a cold classic. Yeah. Um, remember they, they announced Trick or Treat 2 and then like nothing has happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Dougherty is still working on it apparently. Okay. So I'm game. Uh, yeah. So just some, some last ones I also want to mention. Rush Hour 3, which people tried to reclaim. Do not. Yeah. Don't, don't do that to me. Look, I'll be there for the first two for Jackie Chan. Don't do this to me though. Uh, AVP Requiem. Hey! <laughs> My Blueberry Nights, which is kind of the forgotten Wong Kar Wai movie. It's his, like, yeah. American film. Uh, and then, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, Sidney Lumet's Oh, film, fucking, yeah. Which is incredible. An incredible uh, little movie. Another one that, like, kind of was like a sleeper hit mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, Soft like... 4 and The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I just wanted to mention, because okay. that's a masterpiece. Would you call your 2007 your cinema, cinephile year... Because oh, of all I those really movies, about that. all those all the movies you just mentioned, I saw most of them in theaters, which is like the first time I really did something like that. Mm-hmm. And I fucking this how fucking dumb I was. Uh, the mall that like had our, our theater in was like an hour walk from my house, and I would just walk there in winter and summer because <laughs> uh, I couldn't you know, get a ride. I I don't think so. I think two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Not because of the movies, but that's just when I was like, okay, what is, like, I started thinking about this more. I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And then by 2011, I think I've mentioned that Drive is, like, my the movie that, like, woke me up a little bit. Where I was like, no, no, no. Why didn't people like this? Why did I like this? And I got really <laughs> introspective about that shit for the yeah, first yeah. time. Um, that makes sense. But, like, around, yeah, 2008, 2009, probably. But uh, I, saw, I saw Michael Clayton, No Country for Old Men, Assassination of Jesse James... And uh, uh, there will be blood, like within a three-week period, <laughs> all at once. And it was like, and those were the only four movies I really went to see. And like that was kind of like, I, that's a very seminal moment for me and my relationship with movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I'd always been into them, and I remember like the I and I think Pan's Lab Pan's Labyrinth is two thousand six, right? Yeah, yeah, and that was like the first foreign language film I saw. So this is there's a weird crossroads here for me. Um, and it's just weird. Like so, Mike Clayton like occupies kind of an important place for me. And I hope more people start talking about it. Um, at least outside of it's. I don't know. It still feels underrated to me, even with it's, film it's Twitter totally kind of rallying around it. Yeah, yeah. Because you also have to remember, film Twitter is a bubble. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. But here's the thing. I do remember being up in San Francisco the year this came out for uh unfortunately a family funeral for a relative that i didn't even know but like i i sorry I sorry really... i didn't mean to laugh at that, that was no like... no it was like it's, it's, it's a funny situation but like um i had seen i hadn't seen family from up there in so long and so we like spent the whole weekend even though it was like uh, unfortunate circumstances like really getting in touch with everyone and uh, until the pandemic i was kind of going back up every year seeing everyone right and i remember that being uh like a, a big moment for me and also they were showing Michael Clayton, and I believe that was my first viewing of Michael Clayton 
we all got in the living room together that weekend and saw it because uh, I have these older cinephile relatives and they were like, yeah, we heard this one was really good. And I was like, oh, I remember seeing the trailer for that. Yeah, it looked really good. And it just, I remember that like flooring family members. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Michael Clayton's got, got defenders in San Francisco. Yeah. I, th- I don't You're know. Welcome, it... my, George Clooney. Yeah. It's also interesting that like, where ha- where's George Clooney been? What's up with that? I think he's like just shifted into mostly directing right now. Which, yeah, but he's uh, not good at that. <laughs> Sorry, I, I know, Clooney. Look, look. What? Let him make his, his weird little movies. His, I his guess, unfortunately you know, boring little movies. I mean, he directed fucking uh, uh, Good Night and Good Luck. Was that 2007? Let's check. Well, good Night and Good Luck. And I actually like The Ides of March. 2005. Okay, that's that's way, way early. Did uh, you ever see The Ides of March? Yeah, The Ides of March is... I like it on a lot of levels, but there's a lot of stuff in it that, like, I can understand why people aren't super into it. Okay. Um, it's kind of... There's, you know... It's, uh... Some people hate The Ides of March, which I don't go that far on, but... Did um, you ever see Confessions of a Dangerous Mind? Yes, I did. Um, people like that movie. I wasn't a giant fan of it. Okay. I, I think his directing in that is at least, like, really interesting. Yeah, he's like, trying it doesn't, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it feels bold, I All guess. All I remember in that... I really remember from that movie, though, is Sam Rockwell pointing a gun in the face of the unknown comic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's got a new movie out called The Tender Bar on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Well, he um, also did The Midnight Sky on Netflix, like, really recently. Yeah, um, kind of kind of a dozer offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a nice movie to follow. He also did, too. the one, like, that people skip over is Suburbicon, which is, like, criminal. That's, uh, that's a bad one. Although yeah. I think The Monuments Men is also, like, equally criminal. I hated The Monuments Men. Okay, I just thought it was so fucking boring. It's boring, but, like, it's it's... Such a mess where it's trying to be like this wacky, like, look at these, this wacky misfits groups of people trying to save art. And then, like, it'll go from, like, a wacky scene, and then it's like, oh, we just found a bunch of fucking gold teeth that were taken from Jews killed in the Holocaust. And it's like, why are these two things next to each other? You know? It's, yeah. Clooney's I... very bad at threading. He can't really do, like, oscillating tones, mm-hmm. you know? Like, Sarukhan yeah. has the same problem where... It's trying to be because it was it was he he took a Coen Brothers script and then like added to it, and it's trying to be like a wacky crime drama while also like an important film about like race relations in the fifties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Suburbicon also shares the same cinematographer as Michael Clayton, Robert Elswit, mm. who I think I've dunked on in this podcast in, in good in good fun in good mm. fun. He's he's a great cinematographer. Um, I think I just dunked on him because he was talking. At the, the THR roundtables, like, you know, I'd like to get people's perspective on film versus digital because I think my digital work looks too clinical. And everyone just kind of groaned and was like, oh, dude, just take out the fill light. <laughs> like, it was just so dismissive. It was so funny. <laughs> like, you can still find it. I think it was um, the 2017 one, 2018 one, whenever mm. the Blade Runner 2049 stuff was around. But uh, mm. it's so funny because it's just like, no one gives a shit. <laughs> but his work here is great. Yeah, and uh, we're talking about like the non-showiness of it, but like sometimes just being a sturdy movie is like enough. Like the material here is more than sturdy, but it, it's nice just to to watch like a good old-fashioned drama yeah. again. Also, once in a while, mm-hmm. those d- definitely feel rarer and rarer. They, yeah, they really do. And they're still about just putting it straight, like those type of dramas straight to streaming. I don't know. 
like the, the whole look that is being enforced by these streaming platforms just don't, I don't they don't work for me you know like, you know I, I someone will find a way to use it like artistically but right now it's like I, I mostly see the crap I think it's just the the way streaming processes the image right mm-hmm. it's not there's no like post-production pipeline at Netflix or anything like that but it's just the cameras they use and the lighting equipment when it comes down to like how you capture it on the camera people mm-hmm. tend to shoot wide open so for people that don't know like f-stops um, they go up they go up and down between like a 0.9 all the way up to like f22 f22 will have everything in focus right so think of like Sis and Kane how like every part of the image is in focus uh, for like shooting wide open f-stop formats uh, think of Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. That's why that looks like that. Uh, I like that movie. Not a fan of that. Um, and when you shoot wide open, it's really good for close-ups. It instantly draws your attention to it. It's it's uh, a lot of the, the Batman was was uh, had that for the close-ups, and I think it looks fucking fantastic there. Also because the entire movie isn't shot like that, <laughs> which maybe uh, would have been distracting. And. Um, but it's also that, that wide open format is kind of like the look right now for all the, the streaming dramas. Like I think the Ozarks I think does that a lot. Uh, basically any prestige drama you've seen in the last five to seven years has a lot of those like fuzzy close-ups. And it doesn't look great because that also compresses the information to like the mm-hmm. center of the screen. And you, you lose a lot of like the stuff on the sides, which, you know, again, is good for like motivated camera decisions but if you're doing that all the time it looks weird and then it looks like kind of well, phony why why has that just become the standard like what is i think it's like immediately or people think it's like assume it's more like immediately cinematic or something i'll be honest as as someone who recently got into film photography the first like five rolls of film i shot were entirely wide open because i was like oh it look way cooler and it's like, some stuff did. <laughs> um, about, like, 10 shots for every 36 shots of, of a film roll that I had. And, uh, you know, y- y- you learn to fiddle with that. And I think just people don't understand, like, the full capabilities of a camera now. Or, or maybe they understand, but they don't, like... It feels like people aren't, aren't as allowed to be as bold, I guess. Or maybe they're, they're scared of, like, messing up. I don't know. There's probably a lot of factors in that. I'm not a cinematographer, but I, I think that that look can, um, can hinder well, one of the benefits production. of shooting digitally is that like, you can kind of get like a more immediate idea of what the image is going to look like, you know? Mm-hmm. So it just feels weird that no one is, I don't know, like maybe it looks good. Maybe it's that thing. Maybe, maybe a lot of people are kind of doing it like you just said, where it's like, it probably looked good on the day, but then when you get in the editing room, it's like, what the fuck do you get? You have, a, you have to work with a bunch of shit that looks exactly the same. Yeah. And maybe that's really what it comes down to. Um, yeah, maybe. A little, little like, depressing. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's people doing great work still. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm definitely not saying, like, it's a lost art yeah. or anything like that. It's just... Um, it's unfortunate that that's kind of, like, our modern look. And every, every generation of filmmaking's got, like, a look, you know? Yeah, like the 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 dirty grime of the '70s is great. The the ramshackle like low budget stuff in the '80s is lots of fun. Everyone fucking jizzes over the neon lighting, but it's like more than that in my opinion. Uh, the '90s has that like beginning of like that sweaty saturated look 
uh, 2000s were the shit like we were just talking about with like really interesting blockbusters. That's the perfect marriage of like digital effects and practical effects. Like, yeah. I, I know you don't like the, the pirate sequels, but those movies like for their budgets look amazing. They look better than like a bunch of shit. That's they should out. fucking look amazing if they're $300 million. Yeah. And Michael Clayton was like shot for $20 million, yeah. $21.5 million. That would just like not happen now. Yeah. <laughs> this would be an eight part miniseries. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the other thing is that anything that's like, well, cause like I said, the script's like really solid, but if you expanded on it, it would be less interesting. And yeah, I feel like that's exactly what would happen is someone would be like, well, turn this into a fucking miniseries. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's also, that's another thing, you know, I don't know. No, 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 you're right. I think, I don't know if I brought it up before, but like someone asked Michael Mann about that. Like if someone asked you to, to turn Heat into a miniseries instead of a film today and you hadn't made it, would you? And he was like, yeah, I think that answer is depressing. <laughs> or I think that question is depressing. No, I wouldn't. And it's like, yeah, because not everything's a fucking TV show. Yeah. You know? Bring back the 24 episode season two. Sorry. You might get some stinkers like that, but it'll be more fucking interesting than everything being just an hour of padded drama. I, I don't it. know if that's what I want. I mean, No, I definitely do. I think we need to learn the basics again before no, we can thing. start The episode number is what matters. What really should come back is the fucking, make these episodes self-contained stories, you know? Yeah. Stop doing this shit where like every episode has a bunch of little little things set up and then ends on some fucking click, cliffhanger that's supposed to get me to watch the next episode. Yeah. Cause and the you really, even at its worst, was kind of good at that. Yeah. You know? But you, at least reminded me of that. But also, if you're going to be... Like, Disney Plus, I think, is the worst offender of this because they still do the weekly releases and they still structure these things like streaming series, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but dude, I'm not going to see an episode for a fucking week. But it's, you know, it's turned into that thing so, like, everyone can fucking talk about it now. And it works. It works for what they're going for. But I would argue it's working less and less. I think so, too. But now it's just because I think it's less that it's work not working as much. It's just there's so much out there. Like, who the fuck can keep up with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm supposed to get excited about the ending of seven, seven different streaming episodes, you know? Yeah. Like... Who has time for that? <laughs> uh, before going back to Michael Clayton, I, I've made it known that I'm a huge fan of James Gunn's Peacemaker series, which really took me by surprise. I was hoping I'd like it, and I, I think it's one of the best things he's ever done. Um, Still haven't watched they, it, so... I, I think you'll really, really like it. I hope um, so. The, they dropped the first three episodes on the same day, and that's how you like you do it. Okay, you do that, because they're all kind of a pilot episode together. It's like part one, part two, part three. And then the, the next five episodes were weekly, and they were self-contained even though they were still... Or at least the, the, the conflict in each episode was started and resolved in the same episode, and then yeah. they kind of carry on the, the overall story. That, the structure of that one was like really fun. I think, I, that, I think that unfortunately, really well. a lot of this goes back to, like I think Breaking Bad kind of broke television, <laughs> you know? Like, well, like, like we say about like the Dark Knight kind of breaking superhero movies, it's less... Don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah. You know? well, also, you watch Breaking Bad. Those episodes are like solid, complete stories. They just also contributed to a, an ongoing narrative that kept getting more and more intense. You know? Yeah. And They're... it really comes down to like structuring like a story really well, which, to go back to Michael Clayton now officially, does really well. Like the way it seeds like mm-hmm. the mystery about not just like the plot, but like the character stuff 
like the way you get to know like who Michael is, who uh, Tom Wilkinson, Arthur Edens, that's his name, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that guy who's um Arthur Edens. Yeah. Who is who is covering up for a weed killer. <laughs> Edens. Anyway. I wonder if that's a metaphor. <laughs> um, hmm. Guess we'll never know. As also, he maybe stares Arthur up at the uh, I don't know, but <laughs> Wait, what? Maybe Arthur's got something to do with his, like he's on a quest, he's on a crusade of some kind. Anyway. <laughs> I'm stupid. I didn't even think about that part. The Eden thing I caught. That's that's. I'm, I'm probably just reading too much into it. No, just... because this is uh here. Let me let me pull up one of my my, my pal's uh, takes of this on Letterbox. This is uh from Danny Bowes, a, a writer director, and he wrote that it is very much a writer's movie. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, I say thank you. And it totally is. So like, what what he means by that is like stuff like Arthur Edens, like you said, a man yeah. on a quest. Uh, to to solve um, a mystery about, or to reveal a mystery about a poisoned like mm-hmm. garden yeah. protector, you know, or like many poisoned garden on a, que- on a quest to protect a fair maiden in a way. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. See, look. I I, I, I don't know. I could entirely be entirely plausible. No, no, no. Tony yeah. Gilroy is absolutely one of those dudes who who writes shit like that, and I say that as a positive. Mm-hmm. Nothing but a positive. Yeah. Um. I mean, like down to like the George Clooney bit where he walks over to the horses. Before his car blows up, and there's three horses. He has two brothers, right? Mm-hmm. And then after that scene, he calls the brother that he told his son was like just kind of a, a broken man. He's the one who calls him for help. Mm-hmm. So it's like it, it's all very pointed. The thing and it is, takes it takes it the three brothers coming together at the end. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. they all they all end up working together. Yeah, and so. it doesn't feel like obvious though. Yeah. You know, like, I definitely didn't get that when I first saw it. Well, this is also a movie where, like, there's the scene where the kid is talking about the book Realm and Conquest that he's, like, obsessed with. Yeah, a fake game. book for the film, but... Yeah, yeah. That's and, awesome. And they're like, and he's like, you don't know who to trust, you don't know who's on whose side and whatnot. And, like, that's literally the conflict of the movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's 100% what is happening here. But it doesn't feel forced in a way that I feel like other movies would have, like, really underlined it, you know? Mm-hmm. You I think know, part, it, it might be at least. It might just be the the non showy filmmaking of it all too. Yeah. No. I think, like I said, I um, to take to the point where like this is a writer's film, which like I agree with, but I think the 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 reserve directing isn't like a mistake or anything. I think it's a choice that like works really well. And I, oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I would even compare this to like I think the best John Carpenter stuff is like incredibly like solid script right mm-hmm. and then he tells it about as efficiently as possible with one two maybe three show-offy sequences you know like you think about halloween which is like one of the most effective movies ever about and it's just about a killer who's gonna kill like about three people you know like <laughs> and but it's it's so effectively done and there's only really that one opening shot of the movie that is like super like show offy i'm the director making this fucking movie scene Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the rest just does it incredibly solidly and i think that's something that's really lost because unfortunately a lot of people that kind of get attracted to directing which i understand you want to have fun you know you want to be as flamboyant and big as possible and you want to show off like oh here's the one look at this one take i did and look how fucking incredible it is (laughs) and you know some people are really great at that stuff, 
most people aren't, but they still do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a, a big problem, and I'd rather this problem than you just being fucking boring, don't worry. Yeah. Um, is that some people don't know when to utilize that flashiness. To, to not name any anyone who's coming up, because like when you're coming up in this stuff, like you, it's totally fine to make yeah, mistakes, yeah. or it should be. But so, you know, the obvious choice is Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who's like, wow, that. how the fuck did you just capture that on film? But then it's also like, but why did you capture that yeah. on film in that way? <laughs> like, and it's just constantly that. And sometimes that's a little much for people. Not mm-hmm. me. Because he's, he's my problematic fave. Because you're a broken but... human being. <laughs> a broken but... man, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I love his Transformers film. Um, uh, at least two, three of them, maybe. I like, I, I like that last one. And I really got to get out of Michael Bay. It's like, I, it's like I could just watch the clip on YouTube. Yeah. You know, I don't need the context of why this is happening. Yeah, yeah. It won't uh, help. Go listen to our island retrospective. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. With a movie that should have been incredible and it's kind of not. Is Pain and Gain a failed awards film? Because it's Michael Bay, it feels weird to call it that. I don't know. It's here's definitely weird... him going for a Coen Brothers thing. Yeah, it's definitely him trying to tell like an actual story in some capacity. But also, mm-hmm. you got to remember that like all the Transformers films had four-year consideration campaigns. Uh, do you know about, like, why they do that for, like, a lot of big movies? Not just, Like, everyone kind of dunked on Marvel for that, and it is Yeah, I think you told me, but I already forgot why. <laughs> okay, well, uh, if I haven't brought it up on the retrospective before, here you go. A lot of productions will try to do that just to get something. Even if it's, like, just uh, best makeup, best yeah, costume, yeah. I like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I assume that was what was going on there. Yeah, yeah, it's not complicated. It's not nothing skeevy. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not like uh, trying to make a fan award that you could vote for on Twitter. The uh, only person that would think that Marvel really wanted No Way Home to get a Best Picture nomination is Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it would be weird if the company that produced that film would also host the biggest awards in American cinema on a channel that they run and then made a specific award that fans could vote for when the recent biggest hit that they had wasn't nominated for anything else that is strange, that would be weird honestly. that is it's uh, very strange whatever no one no, about let's, that. this is why we got to just fucking abandon the oscars like let it go man like i i think it's like the super bowl where it's like it is kind of fun to get engaged with yeah. it also should be on a different channel yeah and also like the game awards rack up like 80 million views if they're getting if they're, you're getting fucking swept over by the game awards and viewership Change up your shit. Like, but that's also just because young people play video games. Like sure, but young like, people you don't watch movies. It. You really. could get you can you don't have to worry about trying to figure out what's hip with the kids. Just like do a good show, figure out a way to get it across like modern platforms. The fact that you actually have to tune in at a, at a none a of none time. of this debate is worth it under capitalism. I guess so. Yeah, like it's just they're just gonna be like, how do we make as much fucking money as possible? Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Um, which is how you lead to a deadly weed killer. Yeah. <laughs> oh. By uh, North's CEO mm-hmm. and uh, his counsel, Tilda Swinton. Never use the words immediate and unanticipated in the same sentence. <laughs> um, how fucking good is the cast in this? I know, yeah. Tilda Swinton uh, is incredible. Did, have people turned on her? Um, was she, was she, what was she in recently? Oh, uh, after Doctor Strange, where it was like... Well, weird. there was that, but I, what was the other thing? Uh, she was in Memoria, which most people on planet Earth haven't seen, because that film had a very 
strange staggered release like an art exhibit which i love mm -hmm. but is maybe not the way you you, you promote a movie bad timing time. to do a release like that yeah is all um mm -hmm. my, my hot take about memoria which i haven't seen uh but may have an opportunity to do so oh through. if people turned on her it's because of the suspiria remake oh that's okay. what people turned on her well let me let me just give my piece everyone memoria. attached to that movie is should be everyone's angry at those people oh are they I, it feels like it every time I'm on fucking Twitter. Oh, okay. I, I liked it. I don't know. I know it's solid, but it's not Suspiria, so... I, I agree with that. Burn okay, in anyways. hell! Uh, Memoria, directed by Pizza Pong, where to the cool. Um, I think that's a great way to release a film that uh, that is uh, it had an official release like in a normal capacity first so people could see it. And then you do it like that, because also that director is like an artist apart from filmmaking, and they do exhibits... And I don't know, it's, it's not like a, a mind-blowing thing. It's not like an upsetting thing he's trying to do. I don't know. People get weird about that movie. I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. um, Tilda Swinton's great and Michael Clayton. And uh, I don't know how you end the film without wanting to see her, like, dead. It's weird. She's kind of girl boss before girl boss was the thing. I know. I know. You know, this is kind of like peak people hate Hillary Clinton. Oh, you know what? Maybe that's it. Because, uh, like, we're in, like, the Democratic primaries are, ra are ramping up. And it's oh, like, that's right. Yeah, so it's like Obama is, looks like this shining hope of the future, and Clinton looks like she's got her foot in the past. <laughs> which is what makes it, like, doubly insane that they even consider her for the 2016 nomination. Yeah. Like, you know, that's just, that's just the Democrats, I mean. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I don't think... People want to talk about like how like hated Hillary was in 2016 and how that was unfair or whatever. It was like so much worse in 2007 because I was there for that. I remember yeah, it, that shit. Like, like take take a take a moment to look through like news headlines and like the history books about that or like not like official history books because they won't tell you how much she was hated. But I think the only reason people think it was worse in 2016 and you know there we've always talked about it. There's a whole other point of conjecture with like the inherent misogyny of this country yeah. too right apart from hillary genuinely being terrible if the internet was as prevalent as it was in 2016 back in 2007 i i think we'd be like oh yeah there's no competition mm -hmm. like it it was bad there's a book there's a really good book i think written by like a completely canceled man unfortunately <laughs> um called game change you ever read game change i saw the movie well, here's the thing. that The movie is just about the Sarah Palin thing. That book covers, like, the whole 2008 election. Ah. And the first part is primarily about the Democratic primary race. And it's it's kind of fascinating. And, like, that book was published in, like, 2010. It's a window in that just, like, Hillary Clinton can't fucking run a campaign. Like... If it's if you want to learn anything, that's what you learn from it, and it's just nuts that the same fucking thing happened. You know, what's the Bill Burr thing about? Like, I don't feel sorry about Hillary Clinton. Sorry, because oh, yeah. the <laughs> other guy kept running it. I'll just put the clip here. So okay, so not a lot of sympathy there for Hillary Clinton. No, you blew it. <laughs> you blew it. Like, you put she... the wrong team around you. You didn't generate enough excitement to beat this guy. Who, I mean, it was unbelievable that the stuff that that he was just tripping over one coffee table after another, and somehow you just couldn't get out in front of this guy. 
I did not know that there's a commentary track by writer-director Tony Gilroy in this film. I'm going to buy the Blu-ray now and uh, absolutely listen to it. Yeah. I rewatched this on HBO Max. Yeah, if you don't, yeah, it's on HBO Max if you if you have that and it's worth watching. Um, I'm trying to think like if I should really like I could I could really talk about this movie for fucking ever. There, there's but, a fucking lot I know, there, and like unfortunately I am on a on like a time yeah, schedule today, like, so like I I, I, I can't. But like, think about like one or two things you want to talk about because there's there's so much fucking stuff. But I want to mention the cast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Merritt Weaver, who I think is like one of her first big roles. She was in stuff like Marriage Story. She had a recurring bit in my beloved New Girl show. Um, she's great. She's fantastic. It, oh, she was in Godless. Did you ever see Godless? You know what? Netflix? I don't think I have. Okay. That's like one of the good like miniseries things. Okay, yeah. I wish it was a movie. It would have been better maybe. But like... That's great, and she's great in it. Um, Dennis O'Hare. Oh, who's who's, a, his scene. He's got, like, one scene in the fucking movie, and it's fucking great. Um, he's incredible. That might be, like, I gotta say, like, I'll, I just want to talk about, like, the first, like, ten minutes initially. Okay, okay, yeah. Because we, we get the monologue from Tom Wilkinson, which, like, if you don't know what's going on, it's like, what the fuck is this? This is pretty <laughs> intense. Um, and we just get this introduction of, we see, I, like, we go to Till Swinton, like, immediately, like, in the bathroom, like, where she's, like, feeling her armpits because she's all sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that first we get, because we get Sidney Pollack is also in the movie. Um, director Sidney Pollack, <laughs> who had, like, a weird, like, run of just, like, popping up in movies. <laughs> like, uh, he's in The Player. He's in fucking, uh, what do you call it? Eyes Wide Shut? <laughs> like... Yeah. Um, interesting, interesting history with that guy where uh, he has this good, like, moment where it's just this... We get a really good look into all these characters, like immediately, of just um, where the he's, they're getting the call from the Wall Street Journal, being like, "I know you're fucking closing on this deal. Like, you got to give me something. Like, you can't be holding out on this. Like, I'm just gonna print whatever." And he just does that thing where he's like, "Look, it's obvious that you're fishing because you're you either don't have a story or you ha- you're afraid about writing a retraction. Either way, I wish you the best." And he just hangs up. Yeah. It's like you get him, and then we just go. Either he's like, "Well, where is?" Uh, Karen Crowder, and that's when we find her in the bathroom all sweaty and nervous. We don't know what's going on there. And then we get Clooney, um, which if you... I, talk about, like, shit that's just lost the time where, like, we his Blackberry, where they have to, he has to put his Blackberry in that little, uh, what is it, like a plastic container because yeah. he's going to gamble, illegally gamble. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets harassed by the... And we get, like, the little pieces of, like, he, he had a restaurant, didn't go well, but we don't really... It's they're throwing so many pieces at us, but we don't know what any of it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And we don't even know if we're supposed to be picking up on this stuff at this point. Like, you know, there's the pretty obvious his GPS acting weird when he's driving over to his job, and like you, you might not even clock that because you you're not you aren't thinking you're supposed to, you know. Yeah. Like, when uh, when I first saw this, I, my thought was like, oh, this is a dude who's like, okay, he's obviously in debt. His life's kind of falling apart. Yeah. Uh, he can't afford to get his car fixed. And then later, it's like, oh, because they, they planted a bomb in it. Yeah, and literally five minutes later, his car fucking explodes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just his conversation with uh, fucking um, Dennis O'Hare, where it's just, because uh, this is a, what is it? Michael Clayton, he is the fixer for like a big New York law firm. Um, and he's called in because this guy has committed hit Brian. <laughs> like, he straight up ran over a guy and left the scene. <laughs> Which is bad. And I don't know, maybe it's just me. Have you ever been in people's houses where you're like, oh, these people have fucking money? 
Like, yeah. Just being in their kitchen like that. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been in so many kitchens. And here's the thing. They all look like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> they all look like Dennis O'Hare. And they all have a wife who's clearly unhappy. <laughs> it's, it's weird. There's, just that, there's that rich neighborhood I grew up with. All these houses look like that. Um, yeah, they get divorced after this movie. There's no oh, way definitely. they stay together. No, no, they don't. Because what, what's cool is you can tell what she is so worried about is how this is going to look to everyone. Like, that's their primary concern in this, where he's like, you know, he's going on, he's like, you know, with the way the angle is, and I've talked about that angle. I've talked about how the light hits the thing all the time. You heard me talk about this white doesn't even say anything. Yeah. Because they're expecting Mike Clayton to come in and just make it all go away, and he's like, no, this is going to go to trial. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen. And, because they're just worried right now about, like, how is this going to look? Because everyone's going to know what he did. And that's when Mike Clayton's like, I'm not, I'm not here to clean up. I'm a janitor, like... Trying to make the mess as small as possible so it's easy to clean up. And that's really what he is. Mm-hmm. Even by the end of the movie, he's still a janitor. <laughs> the The big thing that uh, changed my perspective on that opening scene later on this rewatch mm-hmm. is that I think he would have tried to maneuver like more connections in the opening of that scene had he not just gone through the journey that he went on through the rest of the film. Yeah. Like, he would have, like, all right, I got a guy in the police department, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But by by this point, it looks like, again, to go back to the thing where it looks like he's a guy whose life is falling apart to me the first time I watch it. Um, and, like, he, he looks like he's just, like, bad at his job, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, no, he's not, like, bad at trying to, like, clean shit up. It's just, like, he's he's tapped out of that part of his life now. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's making, like, a shift, even though he is still... Occupying he's still doing a, a it, but he's going, he's going through the. I mean, but he's going through the motions even at the start of the movie. You know, there's mm-hmm. the whole scene where we just hear him in his office. We're like, he said, he's, people are calling him, being like, yeah, they, you know, they just want you to threaten this district attorney, like, just like, you know, make him understand, like, that he's dealing with serious stuff. And Clooney's like, all right, like, yeah. <laughs> or I like the bit where he's, or uh, he's, he's getting another call for like, oh yeah, we need you to worry about, or we need you to check up on on this uh, this kid or whatever. And he's like, how old's the kid? Twenty two. He's like, ah, shit. And they're like, all right, let me get a pen. And he's got a pen in his hand, and he starts clicking it. <laughs> like, I love that little touch. Or he's just like, I, I'm not interested in this. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's great. Where it's just like, he's had this conversation a million times. And it's also kind of funny, because it's a little bit of a microcosm of what ends up being the conflict between him and Tilda Swinton, you know? Hmm. Where it's like, this guy doesn't understand, like, there's no secret, like, cabal of people that are going to make this go away. It's like just all, but he really, he's just there because all the rules are stacked in favor of a guy like this, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I think also what I kind of like about this movie is it kind of does reflect a little bit of how I think about the world, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we're we're going to be covering more conspiracy films on this show. Uh, those will be coming up. Uh, and a lot of those will deal with like conspiracies involving like hundreds of people and like at the highest levels of government and like they don't really make sense when you think about it but that's how some people really view the world and I think I'm much closer to like Michael Clayton where it's just like no there's no like there's no secret it's just we like I can just maneuver the rules to work for you (laughs) you know it's already all set up for you but you gotta go through X, Y, and Z still yeah, I mean that's what I really love about the movie too. Like it's such a cynical fucking. Oh, movie it's so deep. It's cynical. it's it's miserable. Yeah. It's so great, but like you 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 also get the the effect of of the Arthur Eden's character when he's like kind of you know, he has lost his mind, but 
not in the way people think. Yeah. And he's just walking through Times Square to kind of get like a feel of the world again. And it's just really kind of moving scene where he's like, he feels like he has like a purpose, like his life has been reevaluated. And then he sees that company's logo pop up in Times Square. And it's like, oh, this is like, that's right. This is like the world. Mm-hmm. Like th- their hands are like all tied together in a way. Like all these, th- this evil is not isolated. But yeah. it's still like driving like that, that character is so tragic. It is <laughs> so fucking yeah. tragic. Uh, Tom Wilkinson's great. He makes stuff. the big miscalculation of thinking like he can do it on his own. You know, mm-hmm. like that he can be the one guy because he, he he kind of wants to be he to make up for all the shit that he did. Where like he defended his company, he wants to be this hero. You know, and there's like there's that creepy element to it where like he has champagne waiting for this young woman. You know. Oh yeah, no, and, there's definitely like a, a weird angle there. Like that it the wasn't movie oh. doesn't like fully explain, but it doesn't let him off the hook either. Yeah, um, which I think is is appropriate, unfortunately. No, no, I think it it really works. Yeah, I'm just like you know, because it it would be a little. I think some movies like this they want to have the guy who comes in like I'm the crusader for truth and justice. Mm-hmm. And this movie's like people don't just wake up to that overnight, and then like even people that do like some people you know we. We're trying to fill a lot of voids in our life with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And there's all this stuff about how he has this daughter he doesn't speak to. He's trying to make up for that in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, you know, it, it all fits together real neatly. But it also, it leads to, you know, the it, it's more there just so we can have the clue where, like, Cooney's like, well, why did he have champagne ready if he was going to kill himself? Which we find out, you know, we know he didn't kill himself, but mm-hmm. Clooney doesn't. Yeah. Uh, which is probably the darkest scene in, all, in any movie. <laughs> That's an, His assassination is pretty brutal. Yeah. But like a it, scene that shows nothing violent, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's so fucking depressing. <laughs> and we talk about, like, I talk about how, like, there's only a few scenes. Like, that's a one-take scene, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they, we follow it. And that's a really good moment to use that, of just, like, how clinical and depressing it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this weird where, like, everything has become corporatized. It's really, it's kind of uh, really poignant, like, right before the economic collapse. Because it's, like, literally, like, the hitmen even ap- operate on this level, you know? Yeah. Where, like, there's that scene where it's like, well, we deal in absolutes, you know? <laughs> like, and they're like, do you want to maybe call your boss or whatever, whatever the guy's name is? He's from yeah, yeah. Uh, The Office. Don Jeffries. <laughs> Don Jeffries, yeah. They keep uh, saying Mike, it, and it's so funny. That you just the the, the boss Jeffries. of Michael Scott uh, oh, is responsible yeah. <laughs> for the murder here um no no actually he's not but the hitman asked like do you want to maybe call don jeffries and she's like no don don's busy i can i can handle this and it's like i think the extent that the film shows like how these decisions are like made to basically keep the people in charge's hands clean you know Mm -hmm. like because they do put these wheels in motion that allow these things to happen even if they are not directly involved i think another great show or uh, yeah another great um story that does this is the show Terriers, which I've mentioned a lot, which is like... No, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Terriers. I won't won't get into it, but the final revelation of, like, the mystery is very similar, where it's like, there were were wheels in motion Mm -hmm. that the man on top didn't, like, have a hand in, but they they definitely allowed to to continue, you know. Because it's yeah. just like, that's how you keep the, the wheels turning, you know? That's how you keep the money rolling in. It's like, well, I didn't know about that. That's mm-hmm. the awful. <laughs> and they're just like, but the, these people all worked for you, and they weren't going behind your back either. So it's, 
Um, it's fascinating. It, yeah, it feels and, and, more realistic. And Don Jeffries is like this interesting specter over the whole movie, you know? Like, he has mm-hmm. like a, maybe like a handful of lines. Yeah. But it's like they're always talking about him and like he has his hands in everything, even if, yeah, if he's not pulling the lever, too. I do love, I gotta say, Tilda Swinton's scene where she's doing the interview is incredible. Um, where... Oh, it's so like it's such bullshit where you see her practicing the lines, but then she has to make it seem authentic, you know? Yeah. And but not even that, like they go so far as like we see that they're putting the UNORF logo on the wall behind her. Like it's whatever office space they're using doesn't even have that there. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's so transparent. And there's just that moment and again, like Don Jeffries is right there, where like they go like, Well, how do you find the balance between work and personal life? And again, she's been practicing this. She she knows the question. And, like, there's a moment where, like, her and Don Jeffries, like, look at each other while it's like, wow, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. Uh, it's it's great. It's 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 this, like, we're, like, the banality of evil shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, also, I just, I also like that, like, everyone seems to know someone, you know? It's like, everyone's got these weird connections. Because, like, the hitmen, she's like yeah, I got your number through this person and it said you can help with these sort of things. And they're like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To, to me, whatever. I, I think this is scarier than like the Riddler, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a, dis, a, a disrespect to the Batman. Go listen to the, the retrospective we did on it. We're both big fans. But like, th- this is like a tangible reality, which is like horrifying. Yeah. Um, as, as we wrap up, I also want to mention that maybe no line in a, in a drama post-2000s has ever gone harder than I'm Shiva, the god of death, even though that is incorrect. Yeah, yeah, I was going to uh, The up. actual god of death um, is personified by Yama. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that a... Tony Gilroy. They're trying to do I am become death to the destroyer of worlds without saying I am become death to the destroyer of worlds. And they kind of bumbled it, but what are you going to yeah. do? Yeah. Tony, Tony Although, Gilroy is a white guy. He, there's he one him. line in this film that might go a little harder. Okay. Which is uh, just before Clooney says it, where he just goes, you're so fucked. Oh, yeah. There's never been a more satisfying line, I would say. Oh, no. That ending the, is so satisfying. Even though like the, the cab ride's like very like ominous. Yeah. You know? Um him just like fucking destroying Tilda Swinton and that entire like cover up is so fucking great. It it I felt like the the wind knocked out of me when I first saw it, but like not in a bad way, you know, yeah. like kind of like the drop on a on a roller coaster where I was like, "Oh shit." And it's this weird reminder that Clooney is like a really good actor. He's like, so fucking he gets good. Cl- is this his best role? Um it might be. Other than like when he's playing a fucking boob in like a coen brothers movie like he's he's really good at comedy as well <laughs> yeah um but because he goes you see him go through like a bunch of different george clooney's in that one scene you know mm-hmm. like he kind of starts he kind of has like a danny ocean vibe at the start of that scene yeah um, that's like, the one time i just want to say that's the one time he kind of has like his trademark smirk because he's like a handsome dude he gets by on a lot of that like that that notoriety in terms of like his hollywood fame but he, yeah, he's a really talented actor, and the rest of his performance for the majority of the film is like really reserved mm-hmm. and kind of hollowed out. Like, yeah, he he's kind of like like uh, Arthur Eden's kind of also trying to find like a little more once like the story gets going, you know. Like he, yeah. he's not questioning it at the start of the film, but I think as the journey of the film continues and he's going on this mystery, 
Well, Arthur um, has a very like clear idea of what he wants and what he thinks will help. And there's there's a scene where he's like, "I'm not the enemy," and Arthur's like, "Well, then who are you?" You know, mm-hmm. which again comes back to the fucking story the kids reading, and you might not know if this person's your enemy or not. Uh, Realm and conquest. Also, the other really good Clooney acting scene is when it's just him and the son in the car. Oh, it's so good. And it there's so, that like is like a it, that feels like a shockingly real moment. Like even in the middle of this movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Like where it's just the kids like he's he's crying because of drugs, right? And the dad's like, yeah, and everything else, and they just drive away. And then like the dad kind of has that moment, like you know, he's driving away, and he's just kind of like, he's like, I gotta talk to my kid about this. Like we, mm-hmm. I can't just leave that and make that the note of this moment. Just, yeah, you're not gonna I, be one of those people going through life with this like waiting for something to fucking fall out of the sky on you, you know? Mm-hmm. Like which is I don't know, it's a it's a fantastic moment. No, it was great, and like again, like the the journey of the film really changes this character. Well, maybe not like super changes him, but like it wakes him up in a way that he wasn't before. Because like when we first see him take his kid to school, it's just like, yeah, hey, you know, very reserved small talk. Mm-hmm. And then by that point, he's like, I-, I think he understands that there there needs to be more. He needs to be present, mm-hmm. e- even if he's not going to become like some cape crusader or some shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's not, this guy doesn't become Batman, I don't think. Mm-hmm. That becomes who he is, you know? Mm-hmm. Clayton. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that made me laugh. Because he's like Clay, you know? Get I'm it? really upset at that revelation. <laughs> I didn't think about that. God damn you, Tony Gilroy. Hey, what are you going to do? Yeah. I hope Tony Gilroy gets to do, like, another, like, thriller like this or something you know yeah i feel like if tony gilroy got started like in the 70s he yeah. would be pumping shit out more. but there's often. about a dozen guys you could say that about you know like where they would have really different careers if it was a better time for the film industry yeah know? maybe um who's the guy did margin call uh oh um uh, J.C. Chandor. Uh, yeah, he's a good director. Yeah, like it, he's he's getting a lot of work, but it feels like he'd be doing different things, you know. Oh, he's doing fucking Craven the Hunter. God damn it! I know, I yeah. know, I know. Yeah. They just cast Ariana DeBose in that, and I was like, I'm gonna get you out of there. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Um, if they're doing Craven's Last Hunt, it might be a good movie. Yeah, but, but Spider-Man's not going to be in it. Whatever, they'll fucking figure something out. I don't Yeah, have, have him hunt his brother or something. Yeah. His brother's yeah. a chameleon, so that, that should be but easy. Margin Call might be a movie to do on here. Margin Call's fucking good. Yeah. I'm just going to get the press going over these fucking economic downturn films. <laughs> no, I, I, you know what? I like them. I like the economic downturn movies. No, I do too. And like, I'm realizing how much I just fucking love a good sturdy drama lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... It's fucking depressing. I mean, Mark Call is a movie that's like has so much tension in it, and I think like half of it just takes place in that one boardroom. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's kind of wild. Yeah. Um, another stack cast and Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> that's a that's a real shame. Yeah. Let's see. Anyone else canceled from that cast? I like to I like to play six degrees of Kevin. Spacey. Jeremy Irons made that like one weird comment about gay marriage, but like no one ever followed up on it. Like, Maybe that's for the best. He's fucking 73. He's from yeah. the UK. There's probably some shit with him. And if you watch that interview, it's also like, it feels like he does, like, he's like out of it. So like, there's, you could almost write it off of being like, this is a guy who just doesn't think about these things. Yeah. Which is better than someone who's like an active bigot. 
But, yeah. You know. Like, hey. you can't go a fucking week without J.K. Rowling being like, and another thing! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Do you think it will ever become obvious to her that, like, she's she's lost it? Like, not, like, mentally, just, like, not, she's not going to be, like, the canonical fantasy author that she was going to be now. Like, no matter how many more millions of books she sells, like, mm. it's just over at this point. No, I don't think she'll ever uh, notice. Unless she, like, goes through, like, a real, like, big public transformation, which would be a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which you can always hope that one day J.K. Rowling wakes up and realizes she's a horrible asshole. But That would be fantastic. You know, that's what... But that's she probably what... has more in common with Tilda Swinton and Michael Clayton. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But it's, you know, I don't know. You just kind of... Eh. No, no you, you're, you do hope people could change. Yeah. But, uh... If you could change... No. But I could change. Anybody could change. Is Rocky change. Four a failed award contender? Um, no, but it did end the Cold War. Yeah. Which is why yeah. we've never had any problems with Russia. Yep. Crooks into the camera. <laughs> I know. <laughs> why, what are they up to? Yeah, you know, things are going good. Nothing bad has ever happened in the Balkans. Um... <laughs> Just cut to the scenes from uh, "Come and See." Yeah, it's fucking. Well, no, star hey, that's a listeners. Russian movie. We have to ban it. Yeah, no I'm gonna buy up every Tarkovsky Criterion right now, just to yeah, just to be safe. just in case. Just to be safe. <laughs> Sorry, um, my goat. How fucking <laughs> um, stupid is this country? <laughs> I know it's so fucking. They're like, uh, we have like a terrible problem with like alcohol in this country too, like genuine alcoholism. Yeah. Like, it's just so, like, ingrained in the culture. But also, you're renaming the Moscow Mules. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is that? I, it, it's it's for, not actually from Moscow. For the dumbest... Well, remember, this is a country that, like, corona sales dropped dramatically after the coronavirus. I know. Spreading. I know. It's, <laughs> it's so... It's we, we live in the dumbest fucking country, is all it really comes to... It's... It's one thing to live in, like, this horrible imperialistic empire, you know? Mm. Like, it all sucks. But you would think we would at least be good at it. Like, (laughs) we can't even do war well. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Anyways, uh, we both recommend Michael Clayton. Yeah, Michael Clayton's great. Great movie. Um... Like like a hundred. I'm not. I'm not even going like. Eh, it's pretty good. It's a great movie. Five stars. Um, it's the the only problem is its competition is like every other film released in 2007. I know. I like know. that's the problem. Is like it just. I like, off the top of my head, I know it gets beat by fucking um, you know, No Country for Old Men. There will be blood and the assassination of Jesse James. I can't tell you which of those three though is the true number one movie. <laughs> Can you? No. <laughs> it's, it's fucking hard. 2007 was a great fucking year for movies by the end. Yeah. Uh, which I guess uh, we is all Michael win. Clayton... Sorry, really quick. Is Michael Clayton on the top, like, 100 films of the last two decades for you? Um, probably. Um, here's what's wild. I have my list. I just pulled my list up for 2007 of, like, what my top films are. And I add to this based on... Like, when I watch it. So these are all movies I've watched since I started making the list. Mm-hmm. I put Michael Clayton, again, which I'm saying is a great movie. I put Michael Clayton at number eight. 
on the list. Okay. So, uh, controversially, I put it. I might have. This might be controversial. Some I put it ahead of Eastern Promises. Ooh, I got to think about that one. Yeah, and I will say you, I cheat. You, yeah, I cheat a little bit because I also base on like when they were released in America. So I have a t- the 2006 film Paprika is on the list, but it was released in America in 2007. Mm. So that's my number two. Right now, I have No Country as number one. Then it's kind of like it. I think it's a one of those is kind of like a basic choice, but also not wrong in yeah. the slightest. Yeah, like it, it's the I rewatched I, that earlier this year, and I was just like, "Fucking god damn, what a it's movie!" It's the one I keep coming back to. You know, mm-hmm. then it's There Will Be Blood, then the Assassinate, which I think Assassination of Jesse James might be the number one in my heart. Ultimately, um, the next two might be controversial. I put Hot Fuzz at five. That's not controversial to me at all. That's my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Oh, people are like angry at Edgar Wright now. Um, yeah, but fuck them. That's such a good movie. <laughs> like, Zodiac um, is number six. Nice. And then seven, just ahead of Michael Clayton, which I might have to change this, but it was what I felt at the time. Um, the documentary, The King of Kong. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> which is kind of an incredible documentary. <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a watch. Starring a real... Li- You've never seen it? No. Oh my god, it's got a real-life supervillain in it. <clears throat> in the form of Billy Mitchell, the guy with the fucking Donkey Kong high score. <laughs> who comes across as one of the like most evil guys ever committed to film. He compares the debate over the Donkey Kong high score to the abortion issue. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> that documentary is fucking wild. Everyone check that out, too, if you can. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess we we got to wrap up on Michael Clayton. Yeah, but, yeah. Sorry um, for going a little. No, no, no. We're 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 still good. Just uh, yeah. I mean, we could talk about this for another like. Two but again, hours I just wanted to illustrate how good a year 2007 was. You know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think uh, 2013 kind of had a similar effect. Where it was like the first half of the year, we're like, well, could be a bust, and then by the end, it's like I can't keep up. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. There's a few years like that. That yeah, that happens a lot recently, actually. Mm-hmm. And the first half is like so front loaded with like the popular like blockbuster stuff, and then the the interesting stuff starts trickling in. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I wonder how some of the 2013 stuff has aged for me. Like, well, here we go. Before we wrap up, Wolf of Wall Street, her prisoners, which I do well, yeah, not her like. like I feel like her would be weird to rewatch now. Um, I never liked Prisoners. Yeah, I I, oh. I don't either. Snowpiercer, uh, Gravity. Great. People were. I felt like I was the only guy fucking defending that movie for a time, but... Yeah, well, that's because other people are insane. Enemy, Inside Lewin Davis, uh, uh, Under the Skin, Before Midnight, Pacific Rim, The World's End. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blue is the Warmest Color has not aged well. Yeah, that's one that, like, the, the, the praise it got at the time and, like, the now utter rejection it faces now is kind of fascinating. Yeah, those two actresses have gone on to have um, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, great careers at least, and they both so. like talk shit about the director, right? Like, I th- I think so. They're they're I think they're both like still pals to, like this day, mm-hmm. or at least like social media convinced me they they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, only lovers left alive. Yeah, that's fucking great. Only God forgives, which I think we both enjoy. Yeah, as a psychopath film, <laughs> Rush. Oh, yeah, like the last good uh, What's-His-Face movie. Yeah. 
Uh, the Bling Ring, Short Term 12. Captain Phillips. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, the Evil Dead remake, which I actually really like. I don't like that movie. Okay. I don't know. I, it never, I don't know why. It's just kind of boring. Oh, you're more of a Don't Breathe guy? Kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. I was joking. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, oh, but... Fast and Furious 6. Yeah, that's that's an okay one. Oh, oh, fuck off. Um, it's no, it's really good until like the last ten minutes. No, I think yeah. I that, think that is maybe the best one. Sometimes. No, five is easily the best. Five is is greatest of all time. Tokyo five Drift could literally fight six. all the other fast movies like combined. <laughs> like if they all turned into like a Voltron like movie, <laughs> like Fast Five would just destroy them. Well, I have in to like one the... hit too. Like it wouldn't be like a, like a, it wouldn't even be an even fight. Well, but. I have to also mention the tale of Princess Kaguya. Mm-hmm. Wind rises. Is, wind rises. Yeah, both of those are are among the best animation like ever. And one of the greatest movies ever made, made by a fucking horrible piece of shit, uh, Upstream Color, which is a movie I would fucking <sighs> just go to bat for like hardcore. But now we know that fucking Shane Carruth is a little fucking gremlin shit. I know, but. I know, it fucking sucks. So, yeah. if you're interested in watching Upstream Color, I can recommend it by stealing it. Make sure that piece of shit doesn't get a, a fucking cent from you. Yeah. But it is really good, unfortunately. It was on the Criterion channel for a little bit. Really? Uh, support uh, actress and now director Amy Simetz, mm-hmm. who uh, co-starred in that film, because she has a very interesting career ahead of her, I believe. Oh, Fruitvale Station was 2013. Oh, yeah. Like Talk Googling about a downer. To, to, yeah. All I remember was when I went to see that movie, um, they didn't even bother putting it up on the marquee. They just had like a, a sign someone wrote on and taped to the wall that said Fruitvale Station. Oh, my 11. God. And I was like, okay. <laughs> wow. Hey. All right, Michael Clayton. Thumbs Michael up. Michael Clayton. Great yeah. movie. Matt, where can people find you online talking more about Michael Clayton? Um, I mean, maybe Letterboxd, but um, okay. on EmperorOTN1 at Twitter.com. And you can find me gushing about Michael Clayton in the future over at Twitter, at Diego Crespo, and check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, and get early access to some other stuff and some writing, yada, yada, yada. Michael Clayton's the fucking best. Um, what the fuck are we talking about next time? Are we, are we just doing the other, the other one? The other I don't remember one? which one is next. Okay, ah, now i got to pull it up. I should have been prepared. That's my bad. I know which one's the last one. I've been taking too many notes. I have like a dozen other notes in front of it. Okay. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> we're, we're talking about JFK. Oh, yes. Oh, all right. I was You're a little welcome. worried with which one was next. No, no, no. That's the one after that. Because now I can, I can really put in a lot of effort for JFK and then phone it in on the one after it. <laughs> There, we could talk about other... To go back to that fucking F-stop thing I mentioned. Yeah. Holy shit. We got to talk about that movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to tell people what movie that is. I'm, uh, even next episode, I'm going to say we, we have a surprise one because... It's, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe. If you didn't like this episode, like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. We have been professionally unprofessional. Booyah. You gotta saddle up here, Michael, and get things under control. What if Arthur was on to something? Do you know Michael Clayton? We have a situation. 
stay in the car, lock the door. What would they do if he went public? Arthur, open the door. What would they do? They're doing it. Freeze! Who called it in? Does that make sense to you, this happening? It's like never that? happened. Get out. Get out of the car now. I'm not the guy that you kill. I'm the guy that you buy. Are you so blind you don't even see what I am? Do I look like I'm negotiating?